Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Andy Ricketts. And I'm Emily Burt, editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're discussing corporate partnerships following the publication of the annual Corporate NGO Partnerships Barometer Report. Rebecca, of course, is away on holiday this week, so it's back to me and Andy just here being iconic. Uh, So a new kind of a duo. Uh, (laughs) I think this is our second time doing it, It so we should be straight out of the doors. And speaking of great partnerships, Andy, we're going to be talking about this quite a lot on the podcast today. Besides you and me, obviously, do you have uh, any favourite famous partnerships oh that is a good question well i mean i suppose you could get a bit highfalutin and say scorsese and de niro just in terms of the their filmmaking um exploits down the years they've uh, made a number of great films i think maybe lennon and mccartney that's kind of hard to top isn't absolutely. it absolutely been watching the been watching the uh the the paul mccartney uh, kind of uh, documentary thing that's been on Disney Plus recently. That's been very interesting. Um, so uh, they're, they're going to be top of my list. Are you a Lennon and McCartney fan? I am. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to see the Beatles live. Obviously, that was slightly, just fractionally before my time. But absolutely, I mean, you know, songwriting that define many generations. Um, they're, they're wonderful, but I'm not quite as highfalutin as you, I have to say. I was racking my brains and I could think of French and Saunders who I think are very very obvious of course um but really uh the partnership that I am completely obsessed with at the moment is uh Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse because uh much behind the times I have only just gotten into Mortimer and Whitehouse go fishing and now I want to go fishing uh and for me that is you know what every great partnership should aim for is making people want to go go fishing have you watched it no I've never watched it and I'm not a fishing fan I tried it once and one I found it very dull and two I'm way too squeamish about the idea of kind of pulling a hook out of a fish's fish's mouth oh they put them all back yeah. they don't they don't bash them on the head yeah but the, fi- the fish that i caught it went horribly wrong and we couldn't get the hook out and we had to kill it it was a disaster oh no <laughs> okay well that that does sound so maybe you need to have some very kind of gentle exposure therapy um <laughs> and honestly i cannot recommend this show enough it is just these two comedians having beautiful chats together and fishing in the gorgeous english countryside and it is genuinely such a a soothing thing to to watch it's great try an episode that's what i would say <laughs> that's a good idea well i mean i guess i guess on that subject the other great partnership that we probably should mention is fish and chips yes that is a marvelous partnership but in any case i think we're digressing slightly um and people are going to be very confused about what this episode is actually about so let's give our listeners a few more details what are we talking about today andy Okay, well, the Corporate NGO Partnerships Barometer Report, which is now in its 12th year, was conducted by the consultancy C&E Advisory and assesses the state of partnerships between companies and charities. 
That's absolutely right. And so this year's report was based on a confidential survey of 130 companies and NGOs. And it was supplemented by roundtable discussions with practitioners from both sectors. The report concluded that cross-sector partnerships are likely to become more important for companies and charities over the next three years. A whopping 84% of companies said that partnering would be more important or much more important to the corporate or NGO agenda over the next three years. And almost all of the NGOs that were polled said the same thing. Yeah, and we thought it'd be useful just to give you a quick rundown of some of the other headline statistics. They found that 80% of corporates and 88% of NGOs polled said they expected to increase or significantly increase their investment in cross-sector partnering in the medium term. The figures also showed a 15 percentage point increase in the proportion of companies that thought they would increase investment in partnerships compared with last year. And the proportion of NGOs that said they would increase investment was also up by 12 percentage points year on year. Of course, that is all very interesting, but it can be slightly less than useful when it is placed completely out of context. So helpfully, the report also explores how wider global events have affected corporate partnerships over the previous year. So this year, eight out of 10 corporates said that the COVID-19 pandemic had increased their emphasis on partnering. According to the report, this illustrates the value of cross-sector partnerships and their role in organisational responses to the pandemic. The report also looked at the impact of the anti-racism movement sparked by the murder of George Floyd in the US last year. It found that a higher proportion of corporates than charities felt they had made a robust response to the protests and the issues raised. Researchers found that 76% of corporates said they had made a strong or a fairly strong response to anti-racism over the past year. That's compared with 61% of NGO respondents. And when asked about the extent to which the issues raised by the anti-racism movement had featured in organisations' partnerships over the past year, 71% of corporate respondents and 47% of NGO respondents said they had featured either strongly or moderately. To find out more about the findings of the report and what they could mean for partnerships in the future, our very own features and analysis writer Rebecca Cooney spoke to Manny Armadi, Chief Executive of C&E Advisory. So thank you very much for joining us, Manny. So what are the reasons that organisations are giving for their decision to be part of a charity corporate partnership? They range from reputation uh, on the one side through to income generation, innovation, um, learning together, developing people, etc. So they're quite varied. But but the most uh, prominent reasons that have been consistent actually across the 12 years of the, of the barometer is for companies, the key driver Uh, motivation is reputation. So they need to enhance their reputation and credibility by working in in collaboration with and partnership with with non-profit organisations. Whilst for charities and non-profits, it's um, consistently income generation. So I should say this year for companies, I think for the first time, actually, um, 100%, so all the respondents listed reputation as a key motivation for them. Whilst for charities and non-profits, it was 95%. So those numbers have stayed consistently high across a lifespan. Obviously, other things sort of move up and down. So this year, for instance, for companies, innovation was a, a key um, a key factor, whilst for um, for non-profits, you know, developing people, HR, uh, and enhancing their work and long-term sustainability and stability, and so we're we're, all, we're factors as well. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, the idea that, that you've got two parties going into a partnership or, or sometimes more and they're aiming to get different things out of it um, makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure kind of those those statistics won't necessarily be surprising to to our listeners. Um, but it occurs to me if, if reputation is kind of one of the driving factors for corporates to get involved in these partnerships, how can charities avoid sort of allegations that they're kind of being part of whitewashing corporate reputations? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, there is a risk in everything. And one of the risks with, with uh, cross-sector partnering is that is exactly that. Um, and there are the risks, of course, but one of them is about the, the, the fear of brand washing. And of course, there are companies that and brands that would get into partnerships to save their reputation uh, and so on. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I think, and increasingly, many are taking the environmental sustainability, uh, sorry, environmental social and governance uh, agenda, ESG agenda, you know, much more seriously. Uh, and and so that risk is, in a sense, dissipating. Um, and so I guess the way in which charities manage that would be to be risk aware uh, before getting into any, any collaboration or any partnership, understand do their best to understand whether or not the, um, uh, the the company or brand's interests aligns with theirs. And, and of course, if it's in support of their mission, then it would be worth them taking their risk. It would also depend, and so the due diligence would be a critical thing, I guess, for, for any um, organisation. And then it will depend on the risk appetite, I suppose, of the, of the organisation. And, and that varies, um, even in the same sector. So, for instance, we know that, take the environmental space, for instance, two leading NGOs, Greenpeace and WWF, have entirely different stances in terms of how they engage with the private sector. So, Greenpeace, so of course, it, just in any, any part of the world, if anyone's, if someone's transgressed or is at risk of transgressing, we, you know, we either, we have two core strategies. We either isolate them or we engage with them. Right. And there are benefits either way. Um, mm. So Greenpeace would tend to, well, they don't take any, any funding from the private sector, for instance, and they campaign from the outside, uh, etc. WWF, on the, on the other hand, takes the view that uh, engaging with and working in partnership with the com- companies and so on would lead to change. Um, so now both of those strategies carry um, risks. So on the one side, you, you know, not engaging means that organizations potentially don't learn. Uh, whilst, of course, engagement r- runs the risk of tarnishing a brand if, you know, if a company or brand then tends, you know, then doesn't turn out to be deeply committed to a process of change. Mm. So it depends on the organization's context. Having said that, I should say, uh, in the way that you pose the question, I'd expand it, actually, not, not just for charities, but to include companies themselves, because everything um, carries risk. Um, so, so for instance, if you think about it, what three years ago, when a number of international development agencies and so on were going through the challenges of, you know, safeguarding and on all of the horrors that brought up and so on, their brands were tarnished, and so companies had to make decisions at that point about whether or not they were right in sticking with them, or whether they should stick or twist and so on. Had they been right in engaging with partnerships with them, etc. So, to, to summarise. There are risks and um, uh, mitigation strategies are very important. Yeah, fair enough. And that, that is an excellent point that it isn't necessarily just all one way on the, the reputation issues. Um, you mentioned earlier you, you were talking about innovation and one of the things we've seen in recent years has been this kind of move away from the traditional, what I kind of think of as big check partnerships, where it's literally just about raising some money and having a photo with a big check taken to kind of 
a lot of sort of deeper engagements that are much more that are about more than just money. Um, you know, it might be a corporate sort of sharing skills or non-financial resources, or about both organisations working together in a way that you know furthers the charity's mission or just creates more value for society. Is that a trend that we've seen continuing this year? And is that kind of what part of this innovation piece is about? Yes, and yes. Um, so we've talked about reputation and, and income generation being really important motivations, but it doesn't mean the others are not important. They are. So learning across sectors is important. And uh, and increasingly, I think we think we see organisations on both sides prioritising collaboration. So the idea is, in fact, one of the things that's driving um, cross-sector partnering and will drive that in the next few years is the need to leverage each other's assets um, and competences and so on, and to create something bigger than I guess you know each entity on its own would be able to to deliver. And so that necessarily is leading to a movement towards deeper problem solving partnerships and engagements, as mm. you say, beyond the you know, handing over checks. Obviously, you know fundraising will remain very important to ch- to charities because without without that they can't uh, do their work. And I think companies recognise that. Um, however, they have a strong appetite for more strategic relationships and partnerships that matter to both parties and that have, as I say, kind of focused on, on solving problems, whether those are social problems or environmental problems and so on. Um, and they want to play their part in that. Um, so increasingly, companies I think we see are, um, are wanting to move away from a relationship where a charity says, we are the experts, give us the money, let's go fix the problem. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. instead, they're wanting to say, actually, we've got things to bring to this particular topic, whether that's, I don't know, curing diabetes or uh, or something to do with cancer or, you know, whatever. We can have a role to play in this. We want to leverage our assets, our competences to and deploy those with you doing that. And that doesn't necessarily mean less cash. In fact, um, it, it it can lead to more cash over time, and so that's a journey I think that nonprofits are having to learn um, um, uh, over time. So we saw this year again. I think seventy one percent of corporates stating that their organisations are engaged in deep, deeper problem solving partnerships, and fewer nonprofits saying that. Um, but that's something that will have to evolve over time. I think. Okay, that's interesting. So there is a bit of a disparity between maybe how they're seeing the partnerships or the types of partnerships that are that are. Uh, are happening there. Indeed, I, I would say that for companies, it is becoming this is becoming something really quite essential, right? So dealing with and addressing environmental, social, and governance uh, um, um, issues is becoming very central to to companies. So as you'll you've heard a lot about purpose and purpose led growth and so on. Now, that's because companies are responding to the to the market. They're responding to their stakeholders, to whether it's you know consumers or employees and so on, demanding that companies behave in certain ways and so on, and brands behave in certain ways and so on. So it's it's much more important to them, uh, which means they have to deal with and engage on those topics strategically. And and the drivers, whether that's risk or opportunity or just their their values those drivers are absolutely fundamental and will remain going forward so this we'll see this trend continuing over time brilliant and so uh part of what the barometer does is it looks at the sort of most admired partnerships that that are going on at the moment and we had joint winners this year so the boots uk and macmillan cancer support partnership 
uh, on one was one of the winners. And then also the Tesco's partnership, and this is a three-way partnership it has with, or four-way partnership, with Cancer Research UK, British Heart Foundation and Diabetes UK. So they those two partnerships were the most admired ones. What was it about those partnerships that impressed people so much? Well, they're impressive. They just are impressive. <laughs> uh, I will come to the water in a minute, but I think it's worth saying, actually, it's interesting. Um, well, actually, those are long-running partnerships. They're, str- they're, they're sort of strategically conceived, right? And they matter to the organisations involved. So it's a great question. Thank you, because it helps us kind of identify the principles, really, for the successful partnerships. So materiality is you know, at the heart of it. It's important to both of the parties, so, so to... Uh, CR, uh, sorry, to Macmillan and to Boots, and then and then of course to Tesco, and then um, um, the charities, Cancer Research UK, um, British Heart Foundation, Diabetes UK, and so on, and, and health and well-being, etc. Et, et so those are really very important themes. So if you're can, if you're Macmillan and you, despite the amazing brand that they have, they can't reach everyone touched by cancer. And so this partnership gives them an option. It gives them a kind of a, another route to market. They are on the high street with Boots employees and so on, engaging and supporting and providing services. Similarly with the other, with the Tesco partnership a consortium and so on. So people are impressed by the uh, strength of commitment uh, the strategic nature and the fit, I think that's quite interesting. Someone said the other day, if you have to explain it to your consumers or, em- or your employees, uh, then it's, in a, it's either not going to work or you're doing something wrong. So people, I think, immediately get that those partnerships are, they could just see that it seem like natural, natural linkages and so on. Um, uh, so commitment is another thing which comes across in terms of the scale of the partnerships and the scale of the ambition and then so it's on the length of time of commitment. I, I believe the Boots Macmillan one now is in the second sort of five-year term. So the other thing you're seeing also, of course, is the partnerships, because they're strategic, they, the tenure is evolving. So usually they're three to five years, which allows the parties to plan together and, and grow together and learn together and so on. So, so scale, uh, reach, commitment... And then, of course, yes, execution, um, the, the simplicity of the execution and so on. And, and then also, clearly, the partners are learning from each other and drawing uh, on their various kind of expertise and, and the contributions they make. So I should mention that the um, that award, the accolade of, of most, most admired, is entirely, entirely um, spontaneous. So we don't kind of within say to people here are 10 partnerships or 20 partnerships which of these do you most admire ah interesting so they've got they've got to be able to name them and have noticed them themselves absolutely so therefore the other factor i suppose is um awareness so there's partnerships there's uh, there's organizations have worked hard to reach different audiences and so on so name recognition is another i do just want want to mention the partner the partnership that came second and that's tesco and wwf which I think it's also an amazing partnership because that uh, is really two organizations that of scale uh, and expertise coming together with this mission to halve the footprint of the average shopping basket um, in the in the UK. That's quite something. It's quite an ambition that they're trying to reach and, and so on. And um, so all the characteristics that I described, you can see, um, you know, kind of also playing out in that particular partnership. Brilliant. And so the thing is, I've got to ask because it's a question that you can't you can't look at any report that looks back over the past year, two years without without mentioning it. What impact has the pandemic had on corporate partnerships? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, there was a fear, wasn't it, that um, you know, at least initially, about the pandemic and they're kind of in the eye of the storm and, and, and in um, uh, 
yeah, in that period, you know, we were all on the strain, companies, non-profits, us as you know, individuals and citizens and so on. There was a fear that we'd all sort of retrench um, and companies would, you know, as they, I don't know, protected their supply chains and looked after their people and charities too, that issue would go into their, their own corner. But actually, we've seen the reverse happen um, in partnerships. Um, so um, we have found, this survey found last year and particularly this year, that actually the pandemic has acted as an accelerant to organizations, actually companies really focusing more on um, environmental, social and governance um, issues. So I think something like 78% uh, of companies this year and 50% of, of non-profits believe that their, their organizations uh, remain more or much more in, actively engaged on addressing environmental, social and governance issues as a result of the of the uh, pandemic. That's pretty, stri- pretty striking. So it really has accelerated um, uh, the agenda. And then partnerships between companies and, and non-profits has been one way of addressing that. And that, so it's also accelerated the partnering agenda. And I think the reason for that, you know, why has this happened? I think it, that speaks to how fundamentally important the drivers I talked about earlier were. So the, you know, whether they're risk-based drivers, so reputational risk or operating risk or, you know, uh, regulatory risks or whatever it is, or opportunities. So the idea that if we as a company did something right, then we'd be rewarded by our consumers or, just, you know, this is the right thing to do um, in terms of social justice, for instance, and, you know, and so on. So the pandemic has kind of just really reinforced all of that. And um, and it really has acceler- accelerated, therefore, engagement on ESG issues and also partnerships between companies and non-profits. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting because, yeah, like you said, I think a lot of the fear was that companies would tighten their belts and and partnerships with charities would be the, the thing to go. Yeah. Um, but kind of on that, sort of picking up on that, that sort of theme of social justice and wanting to do the right thing, the barometer also looked at the impact of the global anti-racism movement and the Black Lives Matter movement on corporate partnerships. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like how, how were partnerships affected by that movement? Again, quite a bit. So that was a kind of a special topic again this year, because of course, you'll remember this time last year, there was a lot of emphasis on so the sort of Black Lives Matter movement and campaigns were in a sense at the peak. I mean, they've not gone away, of course, but there was a question and we saw lots of companies, for instance, come out and make statements and lots of charities make statements yeah. about their, their commitment, not just to uh, 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 race diversity, but to diversity and inclusion more more broadly and equity and, and, and so on. Um so there's a question about whether or not that will endure over time or that was just something that will disappear as soon as it kind of it went off the, the kind of the, the, the radar of the media, if you like. Um, what was really encouraging, actually, to see was a real ongoing commitment to that agenda, um, to you know, social justice, for instance, uh, broadly and, and, and so on. And I think that's in part driven by other factors so you know you'd have heard for instance in the economy now you know there's a real war for talent going on in the corporate space um and and so everything kind of makes a difference you you want your brand your company and so on to be an attractive place in which employees can feel able to be themselves and 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 so on um as well as of course other other drivers and so on so encouragingly we see um, lots of um, so companies and non-profits and so on reinforcing their commitment to this agenda. Um, so uh, we we try to establish whether or not companies and non-profits were were committed to this in a, in in were committed to it strongly. And what we found was, I think, just over three quarters of of companies, so seventy six percent of companies, I think, um, of corporates who responded and. Uh, 
nearly two thirds of uh, non-profits or 61, just 61%, something like that, uh, reported that their organizations were making fairly strong or strong strategic responses to um, to the anti-racism agenda and to um, uh, diversity and inclusion more generally, which is really encouraging. And, and those figures are consistent with what we saw last year where, where we were projecting what might happen. So this time around, we we're able to look in the rearview mirror, if you like, and look back at that practice over, over, the, over that period. And then there was also saying that partnerships have been quite instrumental and important um, so in the way that companies learn from charities and charities learn from companies and 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 so on, that's also been an, an important element. One thing about that, though, that was surprising um, was that, in a sense, corporates outperform or seem to be outperforming non-profits on strategic responses to the um, anti-racism agenda. Mm, I remember that being a quite a big conversation last year. Yeah. Yeah. So 76% versus 61%. So that 50, 15% gap or deficit is pretty notable. It's striking. Um, and we try to have conversations. So, of course, there's a survey and then we have, you know, qualitative work and roundtables and so to try and understand why that gap, ex- gap exists. Um, and so it might be because perhaps the starting points were different, perhaps you no know, charities had better practices than, than companies that had a further way to go, perhaps. It might be that uh, it might be a resource issue. So companies have more resources, perhaps, than charities and therefore could throw those into into the kind of uh, the agenda. It might be that companies are more in the spotlight um, and, and, and therefore had to raise their game and face greater risks. It could be any number of those things. Brilliant. And we'll include links to the Barometer Report itself in the show notes as well, so readers will be able to find that. Uh, Mani Amadi, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So each week, as ever, we bring you our Good News Bulletin, a positive or a quirky story that we've spotted in the sector. So first up, Andy, have you ever heard the one about the soldiers and the portable toilet? I have not. Well, it's not a bad joke. Although it's definitely like a great setup for one. In fact, it is uh, the news that in the last week, four veterans took on the rather unusual challenge of spending 120 hours inside a set of portaloos to raise money for a service charity that they credit with saving their lives. That is a long time to spend in a toilet. Yeah, I know. That's a long time to spend in a portaloo. I should I should really ask you, how did it pan out? Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ian Bailey, Mike Hewlett, Gary Sprakes and Chris Nichols, who are aged between 50 and 70 years old, they took on the challenge to fundraise for Forgotten Veterans UK. So Hewlett is a former rifleman with the Royal Green Jackets, and he told the Evening Standard, uh, It's difficult to sleep in the loos. You can hear each other moving about. And on the first night, I could hear someone shout out, Whose stupid idea was this? <laughs> I have to say, the idea of trying to sleep in a portaloo sounds absolutely horrendous i mean especially in really warm weather yeah you know and we have been having a very warm late summer recently with like the plastic warming up have you ever have you ever enjoyed a festival toilet andy have you ever been inside one of those (laughs) can anyone ever say they've enjoyed one i think (laughs) endured maybe (laughs) but uh but i've never i never i never actually enjoyed one but um i gather there was something a little bit different about these ones which at least meant they weren't completely horrific yes uh they were brand new portaloos at the very least so i suppose that goes some way towards uh the comfort of the experience but i have to say 120 hours is 
quite an endurance test. It certainly is. How, how much have they raised? Uh, so far, the team have raised more than £2,000 for the charity, which I think mm. is a very good effort. Are they feeling flush with success? Stop it. Andy, you're terrible. <laughs> Sorry. You're worse than Rebecca. That's absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, uh, I'll try and get a handle on it. Oh, stop. And, uh... <laughs> And stop coming up with these bog standard ideas. Okay, should we should we should we move on to our second item? Uh, an alternative giving scheme based around smartphone donations has raised more than one hundred and eighty thousand pounds to tackle homelessness in the West Midlands. That's an extraordinary amount of money. It sure is. Change into Action is a pilot partnership between Birmingham City Council, the Mayor of West Midlands, and the West Midlands Combined Authority aimed at addressing rough sleeping. It invites donors to give via a smartphone app and contributors can decide if they want their donation to go to a general fund or be spent on specific provisions such as basic kitchen items when moving into self-catering accommodation or a day's bus pass to go to appointments with homelessness services. The app was first piloted in Birmingham and just in the city alone it has raised more than £92,000. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And it's partnering with lots of great local charities that work with people who are homeless or vulnerably housed. Um, And it seems as though that initiative is going really, really well. So hopefully we will see that scheme expanded even further with people able to give either through their desktop or their smartphones. It does indeed. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like one of the byproducts of the pandemic has been a rise in contactless donation services. So it's good to see something like this doing well. Um, for voluntary such organisations. Long may it continue. So we will be back with another episode soon. So make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Emily Burt. And I'm Andy Ricketts. And thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. And we will see you next week. <laughs>